0: Hello and welcome to our latest GCP short with friend of the podcast for 2020, Maxis Global Benefits Network. Our topic for discussion today is... The benefits of diversifying your captive with employee benefits now, due to the travel and work restrictions put in place as a result of the COVID nineteen pandemic. This is actually the first podcast we are recording entirely remotely. So taking this approach means we can continue providing fresh, valuable content to our listeners while restrictions remain in place. In uh, you know, in this extremely disruptive and you know, really heartbreaking time for for all of us. As ever, do make sure you are subscribed to the Global Captive podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or any other podcast platform to ensure the latest episodes are downloaded straight to your device. Now, obviously, we are addressing employee benefits in this episode. What we don't get into today in any detail is the uh, current COVID-19 healthcare crisis. And we know already, of course, this is going to have a huge impact on international employee benefits programs around the world whether they're captive-backed or not please do rest assured that that content is coming in the next few weeks the beautiful thing about moving to a completely virtual podcast model for the foreseeable future is we can really get much quicker reaction to topical issues so we're going to be addressing in future weeks the employee benefits impacts from COVID-19 substance impacts and governance impacts on captives from uh, restrictions in travel what we're expecting to see regarding claims, how captives may or may not be able to play a part in coverage issues in a very difficult time for captive owners and insureds around the world. So please bear with us, that content is coming. But for now, I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by three expert speakers on various parts of employee benefits and captives, and just generally to give us a flavour and some insight into how to set up these programmes. So, we are joined by Matthias Helmbolt, Head of Technical and Services at Maxis Global Benefits Network, Barry Perkins, Placement Leader for Global Benefits at Mercer Marsh Benefits, and Matthew Latham, Head of Global Programs and Captives at axa xl you can find short biographies of our free guests in this episode description and they will be on the gcp website globalcaptivepodcast.com shortly So we know that employee benefits has been a hot topic for captive owners for a few years now, and we will hear more about the statistics on recent activity from from Barry Perkins in a moment. But Matthew, captives are writing an increasingly diverse range of lines today, particularly those very sophisticated ones. But just to set the context for us, Matt, what have been traditionally the, the common PNC lines written by captives?
1: Hi, Richard. Yes. Well, as your listeners will know, Captives has been used for some time to cover typical property and casualty type risks. If I look at our portfolio, uh, which will be similar to most other fronting insurers, then by program count, we have around uh, 30 percent of our captive fronting programs are casualty, uh, 25 percent property and just over 10 percent marine cargo. So those three areas or three lines of business uh, account for two-thirds of the captive fronting programs we have. And then there are many other lines which uh, companies put into the captives like professional indemnity, construction, energy, also compulsory classes like motor, employer's liability, and workers' comp. And more recently, we've added new programs for political violence and terrorism and also cyber. Um, interestingly, when I was looking at our statistics, we now have over 5% of our captives that cover what I would call non-traditional risks that are not typically insurable. Uh, an example would be business damage, uh, non-damage business interruption or supply chain risks. And for these type of risks, as you can imagine, the captive takes the majority of the risk and we take a minimal, if any, of the risk in those type of programs.
0: Great. Right. Thank you, Matt. So Barry, Marsh Captive Solutions produce and a really insightful captive landscape report each year. Um, one of the themes in recent editions has been the increasing number of captives writing international employee benefits. Could you talk us through your, your most recent statistics on captives writing EB and the appetites among existing captive owners to add these lines in the future. Yeah, sure, Richard, happy to do so. Um, So as you say, each year Marsh
2: Captive Solutions produces our um, captive landscape report. So 2020 version is in production at the moment. It's a great piece of research, looking at the trends in our industry, understanding what our clients are using their captives for today but also um, trying to understand what our clients are thinking about using their captives for in the future as well. So it comes from data, it uses data and insights from the captives that we manage. So that's about 1,200 captives, very broad set of data, very credible set of data. Last few years, um, we've added some questions into the survey that goes out to clients asking specifically about employee benefits. If we look at the 2019 report, First of all, we asked clients, um, do you use your captive for employee benefits already in some way? And 15% of our clients responded to that saying, yes, they do use their captive in some way for employee benefits. That would include U.S. domestic benefits and it would include international benefits as well. And it's really that international space, um, international benefits outside of the US where we've seen the most growth. So in that area, we've seen in the last five years, the number of our clients use captives for international benefits um, more than triple over the last five years. So that's, that's the baseline, 15% of clients currently using their captive already for employee benefits. In addition, we ask them, if you don't use your captive for benefits at the moment is this something that you're considering at the moment or is it something that you're very likely to consider in the near future and another almost one-third of our clients responded to that question saying yes so that's approximately 400 more clients that are going to be looking at this at some point. So that's that's a huge number.
0: Thank you, Barry. That, that's really helpful uh, to set that context. So uh, Matthias, what are the primary drivers behind this rising interest in adding international employee benefits to a captive?
3: Yeah. Hi, Richard. I think I would mention two as primary drivers here. The one is obviously financially. I think there's no other setup um, that is more cost efficient than running employee benefits through a captive solution. Obviously you gain full access to the underwriting profit and in view of the aggregation of risks that you can achieve there, especially with respect to lump sum benefits, that's, of course, a very obvious thing. The other thing is, of course, thinking about financing flexibility on the cash flows. If you want to work on a full transfer approach, then, of course, you can basically keep the cash for a very long time within your group of companies and only pay the claims as you go along, which um, was a traditional driver to, to enter into a captive program, I would say. We see a bit of a decrease in that approach, but nevertheless, I think that is still a very attractive proposition for, for a lot of clients. The other main driver that I see with our clients is, of course, the governance element. So, in using a captive, you, you're able to really gain full control over your setup across the world and by that i mean number one the visibility on the spend on employee benefits which is not always actually a given thing having worked in two multinational organizations before i know that to even access this data is, is not an easy thing and it's not available at your fingertips even with large multinationals that are very centralized You also have, of course, oversight on the performance of your programs with the quarterly updates that you receive. So that really prevents any surprises um, on the cost. Uh, You already see whether the plans are priced appropriately or not. You can globally manage the placement of your programs. You can have the oversight on the pricing to a large degree. And uh, last but not least, you can influence terms and conditions. And that means that you are able to globally drive your your policy, um, work with HR to, to implement that. And it also allows you to then manage your local providers through uh, an employee benefits network like Max's to a large degree, um, so you actually have a very the ability from a central point of view, from an HQ point of view, to to really overlook your entire setup.
0: And what what are some of the benefits that clients are already realizing having gone down this path?
3: Yeah, I think as I said before, the uh, use of a captive program really puts you in the driver's seat. So And that is something that i think is there's a lot of value in that your ability to shape your employee benefit programs in line with with your company's policy in respect to coverages but it also extends to to health and wellness to overlook your your claims data to basically tailor make your programs to review coverages especially when it comes to medical and to manage the ever increasing costs there in a better way Um, that's what we have seen clients doing very successfully but it's also about um, if we think of the COVID-19 outbreak now we are working now with many of our clients to to see whether they want to waive exclusions that might be in place in, in a number of markets so as a captive owner and having employees benefits in the captive program, um, you can, again, implement uh, your global policy in the way you want. And if there is a desire for a multinational company to to waive exclusions, um, to, to look after their employees and to make sure they're covered, then um, with a captive, that's a very easy thing to do.
2: I would just maybe add one further thing. Um... Richard, if we go back to the previous question about some of the drivers for using a captive for benefits. I think from, a, from the perspective of a, an insurance manager or a risk manager, I think um, when they first look at employee benefits, I think there's some perceived inefficiency in, in the way that uh, benefits are traditionally arranged. So these are very local arrangements, lots of local insurance policies, lots of local servicing, lots of insurance being purchased if we look at our global clients that we manage for their global employee benefit programs, the average number of carriers that they use around the world is 43. So that's a huge, huge number. And I think there's um, perceived inefficiency there. And so from a risk manager's perspective, there's opportunity to consolidate and, and to do things more efficiently.
0: Thanks, Barry. That's that's, that's really helpful. And I think on, on taking that a step further then, Barry, what, what is the optimum moment, do you think, for a captive to consider writing employee benefits? Yeah, and that's, it's a good question. So, first of all, I would say it's not really, uh, I don't think about when the captive
2: is ready. What's the time, right time for the captive? I think it's, what's the right time for the parent company, the owner of the captive? When is the parent company ready to take the steps that um, are going to be needed to implement something like this and to manage it on an ongoing basis? So, if we think about the implementation to begin with, the most obviously challenging part of that is consolidating all of these local insurance policies into one or two maybe more global fronting insurers um, to support the captive. So. As I mentioned before, these are very locally arranged uh, policies. It's not in reality possible to do away with local policies and and local servicing. So you've got to take all of that infrastructure and replicate it, hopefully even improve it, um, but with some global carriers. So that's quite an undertaking. We've talked about the number of insurance companies that multinationals typically use but it also applies to brokers as well. So it's not particularly unusual for some large multinationals not to have even consolidated the use of brokers. And that might be a good starting point. That might be the typical starting point is, first of all, to consolidate um, the broking arrangements with a global provider and then task that broker with then moving those policies to a fronting network um, in order to facilitate the implementation of a captive. So there could be some steps in the process that the captive might want to think through.
0: Matthew, we hear a lot about this word diversification and the benefits of, of kind of mixing PNC and EB lines. Can you just talk me through what diversification benefits actually means and what that is?
1: Yes, Richard. Yeah, I think it's, it's well established now that there are some good diversification benefits from adding employee benefits risks to a traditional sort of P&C-based captive. And there's also economies of scale and cost efficiencies, which we shouldn't forget. So firstly, there's a typically a very low correlation between employee benefits risks and the other P&C lines that a captive may write. This is good because it means that if there is a loss in one part of the captive, then it's unlikely there will be a related loss in the other lines. Then from a diversification perspective, the typical profile for employee benefits is higher volume and more predictable losses. Whereas for PNC risk, particularly for something like property or energy type risk, the profile is more one of low frequency and high severity. Capital models such as Solvency 2 reward a blend of different risks with capital savings. So for example, if one risk has a large loss in a particular year, then hopefully the good performance of some of the other lines of business that that insurer or captive insurer in this case has written will manage the financial performance for that year. Captives won't be able to achieve this sort of type of diversification credits that a large commercial insurer would enjoy. But They can try and simulate that by writing more risks, especially if those risks have a wider geographical spread, and that will make their capital more efficient. Uh, We've worked with some clients and their captives who have now got almost 20 different lines of business, some traditional and some less uh, traditional within their captive and the capital that supports this business will be a lot more efficient as a result of all of those different lines of business. You can compare that to say a captive that's just writing a single line of business, particularly if it's something like property, property um, that will obviously bring quite a lot of volatility. Then from the, an economies of scale perspective, employee benefits risks usually bring significant premium volume with them and this can help pay for the services that captives need to employ regardless of whether they're just writing one line of business or multiple lines. So they'll need to have financial reporting, compliance, risk, and governance in place. And the work involved does not necessarily increase proportionally with the premium volume. So by writing employee benefits with the significant premium that that brings, you end up reducing expenses as a percentage of premium written and making the captive more efficient to run.
0: So, Matthias, where where, where are you seeing the interest usually come from uh, regarding employee benefits programs? Are, Are these inquiries coming from the risk insurance managers or, or from their HR colleagues?
3: Yeah, Richard, I think it's almost 90% of the cases that we see rich uh, risk managers um, inquiring about um, employee benefits captive solution. I think that's not too surprising because obviously the risk managers are very familiar with captives as an instrument to, to manage insurance lines for a multinational company. It is their standard tool uh, to finance, to govern um, the insurance lines. And um, so it's, it's only natural also with what we heard from Barry earlier with the rising interest in the community of captive owners on employee benefits. Um, there, there's, of course, um, uh, a lot of um, inquiries from risk managers. The interesting thing, so, is that in many cases, risk managers are then not so familiar with the insurance setup uh, in the EB world, Um, Barry alluded to that earlier a little bit with employee benefits typically being written with many local policies, um, not too consolidated, (laughs) rather the contrary. And uh, so that can be a bit overwhelming and it's very unfamiliar for, for risk managers. The interesting thing is that if we have benefit leaders inquiring um, on a captive solution, um, they obviously have a good understanding of um, the complexity of employee benefits around the world, the many, many contracts, policies that it needs. And so that is the the big plus. Also, they have a good understanding of the coverages um, that need to be in place that the company wants to have in place. Um But, of course, they're not very familiar with the, with captives as such and um the problem there is that they then don't seem to speak the same language as the risk managers so I've seen clients where benefits leaders actually um were not able to to open the the communication line successfully to their risk colleagues and um we well, then not able to actually have the risk managers um, looking into a business case. So that's um, also a downside maybe.
2: I do agree with uh, Matthias in terms of um, often the initial trigger for this might come from risk management. And I think speaking very openly, maybe in the past, this has been triggered by a desire to maybe, as I alluded to earlier, um, create some efficiencies, create some savings, maybe drive some premium into the captive. And in some cases, we've seen HR um, being involved in that. I I think it's very, very difficult to implement anything like this without at least um, involving HR. But sometimes we've seen HR being a bit passive and saying, look, okay, I'll, I'll go along with this. As long as you don't ruin all of my employee benefit programs around the world, I'll I'll support this. What we're seeing more and more now is actually HR taking much more of an interest and in in some cases actually taking the lead. um, Because I think there's a realization that, yes, whilst there are some savings uh, and some opportunities to create efficiencies, that might not be enough uh, to justify the effort of implementing a program like this. The real value uh, is in things that uh, Matthias already mentioned. So the flexibility that it gives HR around the benefit programs and the claims paying and the control that it provides, the opportunity to to consolidate vendors and to change the governance model, the improvement uh, in the access to data that you get. All of those things is where the real value comes from. And uh, without HR actively involved, the organization won't be able to take advantage of those opportunities.
0: Obviously, we're talking about HR and risk and obviously benefits and insurance managers. Matthias, just how important then, even if even if the project is led by one of them or started by one of them, how important is that collaboration going to be to get the project off the ground and running?
3: Yeah, I think it's incredibly important um, to be honest. Um, so to give you an example from my own career when I started many years ago in a Swiss multinational company actually had an employee benefits captive program up and running and um, the risk managers were so overwhelmed with the complexity that they were about to terminate um, the program and we then actually take it, took it over and uh, ran it out of uh, the HR function. And, um, it proved to be uh, incredibly successful for, for the company. It created a lot of efficiencies and savings. So definitely a huge success, but. I think also to Barry's earlier point, it's incredibly important that HR understands this setup and there needs to be a lot of communication and learning within HR um, to really see the value um, that there is. And I think once HR really understands this, then there's no question that this will be a success. On the other hand, I think we should not forget other stakeholders here either, um, such as procurement, finance, legal even, in the organizations that are equally important. Um, Because if procurement is not on board um, with the approach um, that has been taken to use a captive to finance the employee benefit lines, then this can completely derail the setup. Uh, And I have seen that happening. Um, in in procurement leaders, um, going out, tendering um, programs, moving business. Um, and of course, this has an impact on the captive. It doesn't provide any kind of sustainability in the long term and um, it is, is quite dangerous. So there are a, quite a number of stakeholders in the organization that really need to be aligned and to understand what is happening fully
2: agree with Matthias around the role of procurement in particular I think um, I think there does need to be a change of mindset I do believe procurement has a has a role to play in a structure like this managing the different vendors that are involved but uh, it's very important to make sure that they understand the program understand the objectives. The only additional thing i would say about the role of hr um, is that i do think hr needs to be the 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 safety valve maybe in some ways because organizations multinationals need to uh, make sure they never lose sight of the reason that they're providing benefits in the first place Why do all of these insurance policies exist? It's not to protect the organization itself, it's to add value to employees as part of the overall employee value proposition. So if you start making changes to those benefit programs which negatively impact the experience of the employees, then uh, that starts to negate some of the employee value proposition. And if you're doing that just with the objective of moving premium into a captive, then um, it's probably overall creating negative value for the organization. So I think HR are best positioned to take that view and to uh, make sure that programs like this are implemented in the right way.
0: Well, thank you, everyone, for a really, really good uh, introduction, I think, and, and, and information on how employee benefits programs work. So I just want to finish with a, a final thought from Matthias. So for organizations considering or exploring this route of, of adding employee benefits to their captive, what would be the main takeaway, do you think, Matthias, from from this discussion for them to
3: to think about? I think there's no reason not to do it, first of all, Um, to explore and to think about it. As I said earlier, it definitely is the most effective and efficient way to to run an employee benefits um, setup for a multinational company. Having said that, um, what we also heard um, today, obviously it requires a degree of centralization. It requires collaboration with a number of different functions within the company, within the organization. And that is absolutely key for a program to be successful. And so risk should not go by themselves. Um, It's very important to bring other colleagues from other functions on board. Um, Otherwise, um, it will be very difficult um, to run the captive program successfully.
0: Well, thank you to our three guests for our latest GCP short, Matthew Latham of AXA XL, Barry Perkins of Mercer Marsh Benefits, and Matthias Helmboldt from Maxis Global Benefits Network. See you next time, captives.